Chapter Six of One Commonplace Day by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six. Shall we try? He appears to be working out the verse," said Miss Wainwright, gazing after the descending couple thoughtfully and speaking aloud to herself rather than to any of the circle. "What verse is that, Miss Wainwright?" It was Mister Durant's voice. He had been enjoying this woman all the afternoon, after the fashion of a student of human nature when he meets with an original character to study. He spoke now with the air of one who expected an enjoyable reply. "'It is a verse I stumbled on this morning, that has been puzzling me all day,' she said, turning her grey eyes on the questioner, her face saying, almost as plainly as words could, I wonder if it is worth while to tell you anything about it. Could you help, do you suppose? It has been in my Bible all these years, of course, but I suppose I've always read it in an unknown tongue until this morning. Anyway, it never brought me right up breathless as it did today. Why, it is about the eating and drinking and everything else in life. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. I must say it stumbled me. Because it is hard to do, do you think? Mr. Durant's voice was gentle, and the farthest possible remove from being quizzical. In fact, it said to the listener that he recognized the authority of her author, and the human difficulties in the way. Because it seems almost impossible. Here's this picnic, for instance. How is the rule going to be lived up to in such a place? Now that I've got my eyes open, I can't help watching to see who is doing it, and I haven't found many who seem to be even trying. That couple down there may have some such notion in their minds, though. Mr. Durant was smiling now. My friend Mr. Cleveland spoke to me of having found you in a puzzled state of mind this morning, and since he quoted the verse which troubled you, I have been studying him. I think I could tell you of half a dozen little things that he has done since he came on the ground, which had that great thought for their underlying motive, and yet I do not suppose that many people know it. That has given me courage, Miss Wainwright. I have remembered that there may be many at this very picnic who are engaged in watching for opportunities, only we, not being able to read hearts, are blind to the efforts. That is true. Miss Wainwright said, cordially. I've often told myself that I was like an illustrious character in one thing anyway. I don't know how many times I have reminded myself of Elijah sitting under a juniper tree and groaning that he wished he could die, because he was the only one left to serve the Lord. It always struck me as rather small in Elijah to want to die just then, even if that were the case. All the more need of his living." but the Lord told him it was no such thing, that there were seven thousand of his people even in that very country. I think that is one of the most encouraging things there is in the Bible. But a body wants to read it about three times a day in order to remember it when we see the goings-on that there are in these times. I have thought of this picnic under the light of that verse to-day, Miss Wainwright, and I wondered whether a picnic at Eastwood, which held itself strictly to coffee and lemonade for beverages, was not a step in advance. I was told to-day that there had not been one of these public picnics within the memory of the people, in which wines had not been brought along, at least a bottle or two, for the entertainment of certain circles. That is true, 
Miss Wainwright said, and it has been one reason why some people would have nothing to do with these public days. I haven't been to a gathering of the kind in fifteen years. I said last week that I would go, because the name of it was a temperance picnic, and I meant to go to everything which had that word attached to it. I really suppose that is a thing to be glad of. But the fact is, I was so engaged in being ashamed, that it was not the case years ago, that I suppose I forgot to be glad. Still, we have to thank you for even so much. I suppose they wouldn't make a picnic for a temperance lecturer, and then insult him by taking any of the stuff along. But if you hadn't been here, it would have come in some form or other. There isn't a thing being done in this town for temperance, Mr. Durant. Why, don't you think it your duty to stay here and work? There can't be a place that needs it worse. Come this way, Cleveland, said Mr. Durant, rising, as a party of three came slowly up the hill. There is plenty of room here. How do you do, Miss Hartzell? You climbed the rocks deftly. I was watching you. Take this seat. Sit down, Cleveland. There is ample room. Miss Hartzell, I should have claimed acquaintance at once if Mr. Cleveland had not introduced me, because I used to have a friend in college of your name, and he resembled you, John Hartzell. Miss Fleming was almost betrayed into a giggle as well as a sneer. To have the name of Hartzell associated with that of a college student struck her as extremely amusing. But Kate's answer was prompt enough. He was my brother, sir. I thought there must be a family tie between you. The likeness is very marked. I remember John well. Where is he now, and what is he doing, may I ask? For a full minute, which of course seemed like five, there was no answer to this question. Kate's eyes were on the ground, and her face was pale. Curious and astonished eyes were bent on her. Old Joe Hartzell having a son in college. That certainly was a revolution to Eastwood. He lives in Eastwood, sir, but you would not want to see him. You would never know that you had seen him. He has become a drunkard. Is it possible? Mr. Durant's voice was full of pain. Why, I remember him as a young man of great promise. He was younger than I, was a junior when I was a senior. It cannot be ten years since he graduated. He never graduated, sir. He left college in disgrace, caused by drink, and has gone down steadily ever since. And did I understand you to say that he lived in Eastwood? All the circle listened eagerly for the answer. With the exception of Mr. Cleveland, they were all more or less familiar with the name of old Joe Hartzell, who for years had been one of the worst drunkards on the flats, but that he had a son was news to them all. They had always supposed that this one daughter, who appeared on the scene but a few months before, was old Joe's sole family, and that since she had left the hovel in which he hid himself when he was at his worst, he stayed there alone. He has come to Eastwood, sir, within the last few months. He lives with my father down at the lower end of the town. And your mother, Miss Hartzell? I saw her once. Poor Kate's lip quivered, and two red spots glowed on her cheeks. Mother died just after John was expelled from the college. She escaped the worst, thank God. I beg your pardon, Miss Hartzell, for all these questions. They are not prompted by idle curiosity. Do your father and brother live alone? 
He is a married man, sir, and his wife is with them. Miss Fleming curled her lip decidedly, and turned herself quite away from the group. A married drunkard was, for some reason, much less interesting to her than an unmarried one. "'We are becoming democratic in our customs with almost alarming rapidity, I think,' she said, a sneer in her voice. "'This is certainly a mixed company. I wonder if the brother and his wife are among the crowd. Perhaps old Joe himself came, who knows?' Nobody laughed, and Lloyd McLean, who was nearest to her, said, "'I am glad your voice is too low for the poor girl to hear you. I think she has quite enough to bear.' Miss Fleming tossed her head. "'Oh, I am not a fanatic in any direction,' she said. "'I do not run wild on this temperance question, in any of its phases. I believe that gentlemen, who are worthy of the name, can control their appetites if they choose, in this direction as well as in any other, and if they do not, they are beasts, and should be dropped from respectable society. Not surely while they are worth fifty thousand dollars. You would wait until that is gone, would you not, Josie? It was Charlie Lambert's mischievous voice that asked the question. He had known Miss Fleming all his life, and he knew young Pearson also. The lady turned toward him haughtily. "'I suppose that is intended to be a sarcasm at the expense of Leonard Pearson?' she said angrily. "'I don't think it applies. I suppose Mr. Pearson recognizes his right to eat and drink what he pleases, so long as he disturbs nobody.' when he lies in the gutter like a common drunkard, or reels through the streets making himself a public laughing-stock, it will be time enough to talk about dropping him. At present he certainly belongs to a different set from old Joe Hartzell. Her voice was loud enough now to be heard, but the attention of most of the circle had been skillfully drawn in another direction. Mr. Cleveland had appeared with a pitcher of steaming coffee, followed by a salver bearing cups, cream, and sugar. "'Sit down, Durant,' he said, "'and let me serve you to some of the best coffee you ever tasted. Here is real cream to develop it with. Miss Hartzell, let me sugar and cream a cup for you just right. There is an art in it. Few people possess the secret. I want you to witness that I do.' He resigned his tray to Charlie Lambert, took a seat beside Kate, and not only creamed the coffee, but succeeded in getting her to take it, and presently to eat a few bits of the biscuit with which he supplied her. She was evidently having a struggle with her tears. They had threatened her for hours, but during this last experience it had seemed to her that they must burst forth in a perfect storm, that she could no longer hope to control herself. Mr. Cleveland, however, continued to talk, in low quiet tones, on all sorts of commonplaces, to which she could listen or not, according as it helped her to do, and meantime his form shielded her perfectly from observation. And at last, when he said in an authoritative tone, "'Now you are to take the swallow of this coffee and eat this biscuit,' She looked up at him with grateful eyes, in which the tears were standing that she meant should not fall, and tried to do as he said. When he saw by the color of her face that she was getting firm control of herself, he leaned toward her with a kind, "'Let me arrange that shawl a little more comfortably,' and spoke low while he was doing it. "'You ought not to be hopeless, as I saw by your tones that you are. You do not know Durant.' 
If you did, you would thank God on your knees that he used to be your brother's friend. He will not forget it, nor him. I know now why he could not carry out his plans and go west this morning. God has work for him here. Miss Hartzell, Durant has been as low as it is possible for any brother ever to have been, and look at him now. He and you and I must save your brother and scores of others. Shall we try? I really believe the fastidious gentleman is smitten with old Joe's daughter. It was a whisper, but one of those disagreeable whispers which seem to penetrate space and make themselves heard at alarming distances. Of course, Miss Fleming was the whisperer. Whether Mr. Cleveland heard her or not will never be known. His face wore a look of the most perfect unconcern, and he only said, Let me warm your coffee a little, Miss Hartzell. This breeze blowing around here is very insolent. But Lloyd McLean's face flushed over the intended insult, and he darted an angry glance at the whisperer, just as Charlie Lambert, presuming upon his long intimacy, said angrily, "'Upon my word, Josie, I would have a little regard for humanity. I think the poor girl has had enough to bear.' Meantime, Mr. Durant returned abruptly to the subject which he had himself broken in upon when the trio came up the hill. I did not answer your question, Miss Wainwright, as to why I did not find my work here. Let me answer it by asking another. Why don't you people who are set down here do the work, so that there would be no need for outsiders? Huh! said Miss Wainwright, and her way of using that exclamation made it equal to a half-hour's talk from some mouths. I wish we knew enough to do anything, or that there was anything we could do. If there is a place of its size anywhere in the world more cursed with alcohol than Eastwood, I don't want to hear anything about it, for this is bad enough. There hasn't been a thing done here for the cause of temperance in years. Then I must repeat my first question with emphasis. Why do you permit such a state of things? Why do I? How am I to help it? I am nothing but an old maid, Mr. Durant, haven't even a husband to talk for me or vote for me which perhaps is fortunate, for ten chances to one, that he would talk and vote the wrong way, if I had. This caused a burst of laughter from nearly every one in the group, save Mr. Durant. His face was grave. The influence of one good woman is a power in a community. I can never forget what my mother was in a town of this size, and she had to work alone. I remember as a distinctive feature of my boyhood the temperance prayer meeting that she helped sustain. You can certainly do so much for the cause in this town, Miss Wainwright? No, we can't. Nobody would come to one except Dr. Brandon, and he would have to drag the meeting along after him. He has enough of that sort of work to do now. I don't believe in adding to it. Nor do I, but I believe a parlor prayer meeting, to which your pastor received a cordial invitation not to come, would rest his soul as nothing has done of late. Pastors everywhere are left to lead in places where they should be permitted to look on and say, Thank God. Is there any good reason why you, and one other woman whom I know, and Mr. Cleveland, and Mr. McLean, and any other people whom you can persuade to come, should not meet in your parlor or in Mr. Cleveland's parlor, and spend an hour in prayer for the cause of temperance? Who is the other woman? I suppose that would be a prayer meeting, sure enough, and we could appoint it ourselves. 
Keziah would come, she is temperance to the core. I never thought of it. That hints at an answer to one of my puzzles, too. I went into my parlour this morning, and asked it what under the sun it thought it was doing in the world anyhow. It is a great big room, Mr. Durant, furnished well enough, and it gets swept and dusted regularly, and that is about all. Oh, when I entertain the church societies I open it, of course, if they are for the glory of God. And I hope they are, though sometimes I have my doubts. Why, then it does so much. I'll try for that. Well, what else? End of chapter 6